With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 9th of December, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual private network, which allows you to change your location online if you'd like to access something like American Netflix, or if you want to keep your data safe and make sure that you cannot become victim to a hacker. Liberty Shield offers hardware and software packages if you use my code EPLVPN you'll get 20% off at checkout so check them out at libertyshield.com um, I had a plan for today and we'll, we'll get to it but uh, some some things took place last night that I think deserve uh, a little bit of preferential discussion first things first Paris Saint-Germain against Istanbul Besiktas uh, the game is abandoned as the Besiktas players walk off and the PSG players join them after an incident involving the fourth official. There had been an argument on the touchline involving an assistant coach with Besiktas and the fourth official. The fourth official drew the referee's attention, was telling him what happened, and the referee asked him which one. Rather than turn and point, rather than describe him in a different manner, he described him by his skin colour, at which point Dembaba and other players on the bench took offence, and rightly so, as did the players and everybody walked off. UEFA and officials did try and get the players to come back out, but there was no resolving the issue on the night. That game is going to take place again tonight. It's an unfortunate situation. Um, there's obviously an issue here where the fourth official involved is Romanian and the word he has used in Romanian simply means black. However, the connotation is you can't be describing someone by their skin color in that setting, in any setting, really, unless you're being asked if you can describe the man who robbed your phone and you don't know anything else about them. He could have turned and pointed to the man stood beside him. It was a very unfortunate incident. The um, There's been some backlash, obviously, and rightly so. There's been some defense of him. I don't want to get in the middle of it because it's this, it's similar to, to the Cavani situation and, and what went on with him where he used terminology that is fine in his home country but not okay in the greater scheme of society. I think it's the same situation here. I don't think the phrasing is racist, but I think it is a little bit of a racist action. I don't want to bash this fourth official too much. He's been through quite a lot in his life and tried to take his own life about 12 years ago. Um, you can Google that. So, look, he needs to be educated. He obviously needs to be stood down from games potentially permanently, but certainly for the next little while anyway. Um, apologies are due to the assistant coach in, in question and to the players on both teams. I think it's great credit to the players that they were willing to st- take a stand. I think it's great credit to PSG that they were willing to take a stand alongside Besiktas in a show of solidarity. I think it's important. And given what we've seen in recent weeks, especially at uh, Millwall, this is a big moment. It feels like a big moment. Uh, speaking of Millwall, actually, they played QPR last night, and there's obviously been the shenanigans around whether players were going to kneel or not. Uh, when QPR scored, two of the players, including the goal scorer, took a knee, 
in what is quite a powerful image. And uh, I would invite you to go and check that goal. Like, you'll find it on YouTube. You'll find the still image of it uh, online anywhere. Uh, it's quite a powerful image. And I think it speaks to the desire of players to join this cause and support this cause. And I think it's an important cause. I think people hide behind potential political connotations and p- political links. I think those are people that maybe have questionable morals. Um, the movement is more important than the political aspect of it. Um, in other Champions League related news, Manchester United were dumped out of the competition after a 3-2 loss away to RB Leipzig. Uh, this has led to a lot of discussion about the future of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And it's only natural. United needed one point from two games and managed to lose both games. Because they lost 3-1 last week and Neymar got that very late goal, PSG can afford to lose to Besiktas and still go through because they've got the head-to-head lead against United. Um, United were dreadful last night. There's no other way to describe it. They were dreadful. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer came out and said that because they're Manchester United, they couldn't go and play for a nil-nil. He played seven defensive players. Seven. Played three centre-backs, wing-backs, and two holding midfielders. Now, fair enough, you can argue that Alex Tellez is a much better attacker than he is defensive player, but the ghost of Nemanja Matic is a purely defensive player. Darren Fletcher 2.0 is a purely defensive player. Aaron Wan-Bissaka gets nosebleeds when he crosses the halfway line. Same for Luke Shaw. And while Slabhead Maguire might be great from corners, he doesn't offer anything else going forward. And Victor Lindelof is purely a defensive player. So they went into that game with seven defensive players. One, you can argue, goes forward a lot. But aside from that, it's Bruno and the two strikers, Rashford and Greenwood. United go 2-0 down in quick order. Um, Angelino scores after two minutes. Amadou Hydera scores after 13. They're the, the wingbacks for, um, for Leipzig. And from there, the, the pattern of the game is set. United just don't look good at all. They are sloppy in defense. They're struggling to create anything going forward. In the second half, Justin Clivert adds a third. And then United gets some, some luck, we'll say. They get a very, very questionable penalty that I, I don't think gets given in, in league competition. I don't think it gets given at nil-nil. And then there's an own goal. by it's, it's been classed as an own goal now. It has been given to Paul Pogba, Harry Maguire, and now classed as an own goal by Kanate. Uh, it clearly comes off the arm of Harry Maguire and should have been disallowed, but it is what it is. United go out 3-2. And obviously then the, the post-mortem starts... Uh, is Ollie the man? Should should Ollie get the sack? Now, as usual, Ollie gets the protection of his friends in the television studios, the likes of Rio Ferdinand, uh, the likes of Owen Hargreaves, etc. These people are never going to criticize Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Paul Scholes never going to criticize him, and until they do criticize him, public opinion will not massively turn against him. And until public opinion turns against him, it's hard to see that United will move on from him. Ed Woodward has come out today uh, via Duncan Castles and said that they are fully committed to Ollie and that they believe in the, I think he said, the exciting plan that Ollie has. Now, this, if this is exciting, I, I'd wonder what, you know, what kind of life that man lives. Um, Look, Ollie's clearly not good enough to man- manage Manchester United. There's, there's just no way around that. His CV includes two Norwegian titles in 2011 and 2012. An enormous failure at Cardiff, a second term at Molde, and they got better when he left. They were second in the league when he left, and they ended up winning the title after he went. He was brought in because he's a popular figure at Old Trafford. He's a popular figure among the fan base. After Mourinho, they wanted a lift. It was understandable. 
to bring him in as a caretaker. He had a good run as a caretaker, so they gave him the job permanently. It's reminiscent of when Liverpool brought Kenny Dalglish in as a caretaker and then gave him the job permanently because he did well, rather than look at other options. A lot of that was down to pressure pushed on United by former players like Rio Ferdinand and his slapping of paper down on a table and demanding they give him the contract and rubbing his hands together while announcing that Ollie was at the wheel and Manchester United were back. How's that working out for you, Rio? You going to enjoy Thursday nights? But look, there's no point in United changing the manager as things stand. Because what will happen is a bunch of people who don't really know anything about football will look around, see what manager they've heard of is available and appoint them and think that that solves the problems and then they'll throw a lot of money at the issue and hope for the best. Pochettino's available. Allegri's available. One of those two will get the job. If, if Ollie was to go today, one of those two would be in place by next week. Probably Pochettino. It's the easier appointment. They're more familiar with him. He did well at Spurs, obviously. But it doesn't solve the problems at Manchester United. And United aren't going to solve their problems by changing the manager. Before they do anything regarding Ollie, there's a couple of things they need to do. Number one, they need to appoint a sporting director or director of football, whatever you want to title it, to oversee the day-to-day running of the football side of the club. Ed Woodward is brilliant in terms of the business side of the club. He is hopeless when it comes to the football side. That director of football needs to have a track record. He needs to have negotiation skills. And he needs to have a scouting network that he can put in place. Because United Scouting Network is... It's embarrassing how poor it is at this point. United signed players purely based on reputation. That's it. Purely based on reputation. You don't spend £80 million on Harry Maguire if you know anything about the game. He's a £40 million centre-back on his very best day. You don't spend £50 million on Aaron Wan-Bissaka when he's had one good season. One season. Never mind one good season. He's had one season. And doesn't offer anything going forward. You spend fifty million on him. Make him the world's most expensive fullback at the time. He's a twenty five million pound player max. You don't sign Donny van de Beek when you've already got Bruno Fernandez, Juan Mata, and Jesse Lingard at your club and you're crying out for a holding midfielder. You just don't do that. You don't spend all summer obsessing over Jaden Sancho knowing that, in reality, you're never going to buy him and ignoring all the positions of need in your team and not having a backup plan for when the Sancho thing doesn't go through. United need a real director of football, someone with pedigree, someone that knows the game, someone that's respected within the game, someone that has relationships with agents and with other clubs, someone who's been there and done it at another club. They need to invest in that scouting network. They need to rebuild it. United Scouting Network used to be one of the best in the world. Ferguson had built it perfectly. He had a very tight-knit group that worked with him, but they had regional scouts and local scouts all over the world finding players for them, telling them about Chilean under-18 players that nobody had ever heard heard of outside of Chile. United knew about them. United signed them. Brazilians that you hadn't heard of suddenly rocked up at United. They were brilliant at it. They need to invest massively in their analytics department. They need to start scouting more through data as well as the eye test. They need to be more prepared for matches. United never seem prepared for a match. They seem surprised when teams come out and play a certain way in the first half. They need to separate the football side from the business side. And until they do that, whoever takes over from Ollie is going to have the same problems that Ollie has, the same problems that Mourinho had, the same problems that Louis van Gaal had, and the same problems that David Moyes had. 
when Alex Ferguson left Manchester United, there was an enormous power vacuum just left. He had had all the power. He had his hands in all the pies. David Gill ran the business side. Ferguson ran the football side. They met in the middle when it came to a transfer. That's how it worked. As a business, United are a remarkable entity. As a football club, they've become something of a joke. Talked about the Pogba thing yesterday. Can you imagine, under Alex Ferguson, an agent coming out and saying, yeah, I know the player's had enough. It's time for him to move on. That player would have been dragged into the office, glued to a chair, and had his skin whipped off with the hairdryer. His agent would never have worked with anybody connected to Manchester United again. And the first journalist to ask the question would have been torn strips off of. Ferguson wouldn't have stood for it. But Ferguson was a manager from a different era. A manager from an era when managers could oversee everything. It doesn't work like that anymore. There isn't a Fergie out there. The top clubs have sporting directors who work right alongside the manager. In most situations, the sporting director chooses the manager. There's others where it's, it's a different case. Look at Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp was the one who recommended that Michael Edwards be promoted to sporting director. But Michael Edwards was there before Jurgen Klopp. And Michael Edwards played a big part in the recruitment and the decision to get Jurgen Klopp. The structure of the club needs to be in place so that when the manager goes, the club continues to function. You look at Juventus, you look at Bayern Munich. Managers come and go, success remains. Liverpool will be like that. Until Manchester United appoint a sporting director, there's no point in them changing the manager. And we've heard for about 18 months now that they're in the market for a sporting director. They're on the hunt. And yet they still haven't appointed one. And until they do, there's no point firing Ollie. Because everything else becomes pointless. Everything else is just a vicious circle of failure. Find a sporting director. Rebuild your scouting network. Invest in your analytics department. If you have to hire specific negotiators, head of recruitment, etc., etc., do that too. Don't allow the people that have been negotiating your transfers up to this point to have any more involvement. Because, I mean, Pogba deal, the Lukaku deal... Juan Bissaka, Maguire, I mean, these are just dreadful, dreadful deals that United have been doing. And it's been happening since Ferguson left. Alex Ferguson would have laughed and walked away if he'd been quoted 80 million for Harry Maguire. And he'd have ridiculed Leicester in the press until they dropped their price to whatever it is he wanted them to pay. He wanted to pay them. The sporting director needs to be the one who chooses the manager as well. And it needs to be after a proper search. It can't just be, we know who that guy is, he's done well, let's get him. What's their playing style? What's their managerial style? What's their tactical setup? How do they adapt in-game? How do players react to them? Are they a draw for players? If we're in the market against Chelsea for a player, is my manager going to be the difference maker the way Jurgen Klopp is at Liverpool? Like Virgil van Dijk could easily have gone to Chelsea, to City, to United, to Arsenal. He chose Liverpool because of Jurgen Klopp. Others have done the same. Alison Becker, Fabinho. Find someone that is a draw for players as well as the right man to fit what you believe are the principles of your club. Manchester United are one of the biggest clubs in the world, the biggest club in England. They're one of four super clubs, along with Bayern, Barca and Real. They're a global entity. They're a commercial monster. But they're being run 
like a small time operation from the football side of things. And until that changes, this is what United are going to be. They'll get fourth some years, third some years. They'll never get close to the title. They'll go out early in the Champions League. They'll have a few good cup runs. They'll buy some big-name players, but those players will largely only arrive for the money or they'll have been massively overpaid for. Like, at the moment, there's talk that uh, a Pogba for Dybala deal could take place. Dybala doesn't want to come to England. When he was talking, to, he was coming for the money. United can't afford to bring in another player who's only there for the money. You've been through this. You went through it with Alexis Sanchez. You went through it with Rooney in the last few years of his United career. You've been going through it with De Gea, who's been phoning it in for about two and a half years now. And you're going through it with Paul Pogba. A deal you're going to lose a fortune on when you eventually find someone to take him away. It's not how a serious football club operates. And though I am a Liverpool fan, I believe it is imperative to the health of the Premier League to have a strong Manchester United. I think the Premier League is better when there's a strong Manchester United. Not when they're dominating and winning every year, but when they're competing every year, when they're in the mix, winning, you know, whenever. Not every year, but like you look at the 2000s. That's the golden era of the Premier League because you had Arsenal, United, and Chelsea all winning multiple titles, Liverpool competing in multiple years, you know, Leeds team that blew up and competed. You know, you roll into the next decade then and you've got more and more strength with Leicester winning a title and Man City winning multiple titles and Liverpool winning a title and obviously Chelsea and and United as well. And you got that that Spurs team that developed and became a title challenger and Arsenal were in the mix at the early part of the decade, obviously then fell off. But the Premier League is better when these teams are good. And as a neutral, as a fan of football, first and foremost, I do want to see United be strong. Not necessarily as good as Liverpool, but I want to see them be strong, you know. Plus, it's more satisfactory to beat them when they're good. You don't really get any satisfaction from beating United anymore. You expect it. Liverpool expect to beat Man United now. That wasn't the case for 25 years. It is now. Alex Ferguson's gone over seven years. That time has flown by, but United are a shell of the club he left. Right. Um, last week on Twitter Thursday, we had a question from uh, AT7, who asked if all 20 Premier League managers were basically, say, if they resigned or were sacked all at once, and you had to find similar replacements for them, who would I go for? So I'm going to do this from the bottom up. So start with Chris Wilder. Um, Simone Inzaghi, who I think is similarly inclined from a tactical point of view, loves the back three. Um, builds up through his outside central midfielders and his wing backs. Not as much positional rotation as you see with Wilder, but I do think there are similarities in the styles of football. And he, like I say, he's very much married to that back three in the same way Wilder is. Um, Slavin Bilic, gone from Marco Giampaoli of Torino. Uh, these aren't all from Syria. Some of them are, but not all of them. But GM Pauli is a guy who wants his team to play good football, relies a lot on the fullbacks to create width and give the team some thrust, likes to play with a creative number 10 type, similar to Bilic, who likes to get his fullbacks advanced and likes to play to that number 10, be it Dimitri Payet at um, West Ham or be it Matthias Pereira at uh, West Brom. He can play that player wide, but you'll always see him drift infield and be the creative hub of the team. And I think Gianpaoli is also a guy who maybe maybe struggles to break through a certain ceiling 
and is always best suited to working with an underdog team. Um, next up then is Sean Dyche at Burnley. Uh, Kristen Streich, not only because the names rhyme, but uh, the job he has done at Freiburg, he has been in charge since December of 2011. And despite offers from bigger clubs, he has stayed there and continued to work miracles. Just a guy who gets the most out of every single player, sets his team up to be very, very disciplined, very hard to break down, improves central defenders massively, uh, as we've seen with Dyche. And a similar enough personality to Dyche in that he is utterly obsessed with the game and not really interested with any of the trappings of fame or the you know the frilly bits that come with being a Premier League manager or in his case a Bundesliga manager. Um for Scott Parker I've gone with Raphael Wicky or Vicky perhaps uh Swiss manager currently with Chicago Fire previously at Basel. Uh he looks a little bit like Scott Parker which is part of the reason but his his teams play a similar type of way. He has ambitions to have them play out from the back, doesn't tend to be able to identify the right players to do that and ends up playing a sort of defensive style of football where he relies a lot on his midfield to carry the ball rather than, you know, creating true passing progression. Um, He's also not great, and that's why I've gone for him. Um. Graham Potter at Brighton. Then I've gone for Jesse Marsh of RB Salzburg. Um, Young manager who has gone a different route in the game. Obviously, he is an American, so him working with uh, New York Red Bulls is is natural. But, you know, it's when we look at top managers in Europe, we don't normally expect them to have had the MLS on their CV early on in the same way we don't expect managers in the Premier League to have had, you know, Scandinavian experience as the primary as the primary job on their CV. Uh, very tactically innovative, very creative, really wants to play attacking football, um, gets the most out of players, develops players really, really well and has a massive future. Jesse Marsh is going to manage a top club he is going to manage a top club. Within two years, he is going to be at a top, top team. In the same way, I think Graham Potter is destined to, for a top job. With him, I think it will be the England job. With Marsh, I could see him getting a job like Inter Milan when they move on from Conte, when he eventually just annoys them so much that they feel there's no choice. Um, I could see him getting the Borussia Dortmund job the Leipzig job, job if Nagelsmann were to, lo- were to leave. Um, so yeah, Jesse Marsh for Graham Potter. For Mikel Arteta, I've gone with Florian Kovelt, who is currently the manager of Werder Bremen. Very young manager. Very much an idealist. Has a very specific way and a specific mindset in terms of how he wants his team to play wants to play good football, wants to build from the back. His teams do tend to lack creativity at times. They do tend to be quite passive at times. And that's it's just the carbon copy of Arteta, the young manager learning his learning his craft with a big, big future, I think. I think Arteta's got a big future as a manager. Um but Kovalt has done done really well at at, at Werder Bremen the league position might not always represent it but given what he's been working with uh, I am a big fan Werder are, are my Bundesliga team for my sins and um, and I like Arteta I think he's a good manager I think he's sorry I, th- I should say I think he's going to be a good manager I think he's a good prospect um, for Marcelo Bielsa this is a tough one obviously because Bielsa is is one of one but Jose Bordales at Getafe I think is a very similarly minded manager demands an incredible amount amount from his players, puts high physical demands on them, super high tempo, hyper aggressive style of football, horrible to play against. 
Uh, I think he's destined for a bigger club. Even at 56, I think he's still got time to go and manage a top club. Um, results don't always reflect what happens in the games they play, which I think is similar enough to Leeds. But um, yeah, Jose Bordalas. I think if, if Bielsa were to walk in the summer, which is always possible with him, he'd be one that I think Leeds should look at as a potential replacement. Uh, for Steve Bruce, it's big Sam Allardyce. It just has to be. It just has to be. Who else could you go for? Only big Sam. Uh, another large man. Big head. Questionable style of football. Gets the most of the players. Popular with his players. Uh, seems like he might be a fairly, you know, decent chap away from the game. Has ambitions to be a top, top manager and manage a top team. And I, th- I think Steve Bruce has always dreamed of managing United, where he spent a big part of his career, obviously, and was, was a legend there, uh, as with Sam, who thought he could manage Real Madrid. Um, Dean Smith. I've gone with Bruno Labadia of um, Hertha Berlin. I think he's the type of guy who sets up to play a specific way, uh, has worked his way up into a top job, into a a top flight job, um, has had some setbacks here and there. His teams can be inconsistent. They tend to be overly reliant on one creative source. For Smith, it's Grealish. It was Ben Rama when he was at Brentford. for Labadia, it has become Mateus Cunha, who somebody is going to buy and turn into an absolute worldie. Um, but yeah, uh, Bruno Labadia, you could do better, but he's what you get, and he's he's not bad. Um, Roy Hodgson, <laughs> Neil Warnock. It just has to be Neil Warnock. It couldn't possibly be anybody else other than Neil Warnock. Um it, yeah, it's just Neil Warnock. I'm sorry. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, Diego Martinez of Granada. Loves the back three. Shifts between different formations, but I think if you got him in a room and you you, you pushed him, I think he would want to play that back three. Um, his teams are very, very difficult to break down. His teams are very hardworking. Tends to rely on one main goal-scoring outlet, but creates a dynamic force with his team. They're having a great season. Overachieves, and I think not so much this season, but the last two seasons, I think Wolves did overachieve. When you consider last year how far they went in the Europa League and maintained a decent decent showing in the Premier League, and obviously the, the previous season, their first year in the Premier League, qualifying for Europa League football. Uh, Very, very impressive. Martinez is doing a great job at Granada. He's only 39. Someone's going to snap him up, and he's going to go on to manage at a top club. Um, For Carlo Ancelotti, I've gone with Zidane. Um, Great player. I think Carlo, as great a player as he was, wasn't Zidane level, obviously, but Carlo was a tremendous player in his own right, was part of that incredible Milan team under Saki. Um, won three Champions Leagues as a manager, as has Zizou. A better Champions League manager than domestic league manager, as is Zizou. Uh, loved by his players. Questions over whether he works the players hard enough, whether he sometimes lets players skate a little bit based on reputation. Um... But yeah, Zizou. For David Moyes, I've gone with Martin O'Neill. Um, Martin O'Neill at one point was incredibly highly rated as a manager. Through his time at Leicester, Celtic and Villa, he was very, very highly rated. In the same way that Moyes was at, at Everton. And it was assumed that he would get a top job. Now, Moyes got a top job and obviously didn't work. O'Neill never got the call from one of the bigger clubs, despite being heavily linked with Liverpool. 
uh, before they appointed Rafa Benitez. Both obviously have managed Sunderland. Uh, both have definitely slipped from that level, no longer seen as, you know, high-end managers. Um, but, you know, solid citizens who do a good job. Um, for Guardiola, I've gone with Julian Nagelsmann, a tactically innovative manager, plays a, an exciting brand of football, can tend to overthink things in big European games, um, doesn't necessarily improve his defenders as defenders, but improves them as footballers. Very, very good in terms of the attacking side. I would imagine whenever Pep leaves, uh, Nagelsmann will be high on the list of people that they will want to uh, to replace them. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer then, Lucien Favre of Borussia Dortmund. Um, Favre is a more accomplished manager, but I think there's similarities in that. Tactically questionable, tend to rely on individual brilliance to bail them out at times. But loved by their players, credited with improving young players, um, tend to go on runs of, of good results when the pressure on them is at the highest and then fall flat on their face when they have an opportunity to do something. For Ralph Hasenhutl, I've gone with Peter Bose of uh, Bayer Leverkusen, who isn't everybody's cup of tea, but he's done a very good job at Leverkusen. He demands a lot physically of his players. He can tend to leave himself exposed at the back. He can be a little bit dogmatic at times, very stuck in his ways, but did a great job at Ajax. Obviously didn't go well from at Dortmund, but doing very, very well now. I think he's a similar type of coach who plays a similar type of football to uh, to Ralph. For Brendan Rodgers, and this one is for you, Trev Downey, Thomas Tuchel, uh, good creative attacking coach, hasn't really figured it out defensively, uh, very much a fan of himself, tendencies to throw players under the bus, not, ha- not a good eye for talent but can develop players in an attacking sense. And a spoofer. Tommy Tuchel is a spoofer, as is Brendan. So, Tommy Tuchel, that's the one for Brendan. That's for you, Trev. Hope you enjoyed that. Frank Lampard, I've got with Paolo Fonseca from Roma. It's a bit of an odd one. They don't... Fonseca is a more accomplished manager. Most people are more accomplished managers than Frank when you get to the top end of the game. But I think they have similar enough principles. I think Frank would like his team to press a lot more. But because of a lot of the big money signings, it hasn't really worked. I think Frank is happiest when he's got his Kovacic, Kante, Mount midfield because they can press like demons. Um... Fonseca does tend to struggle to sort things out defensively. I know Chelsea are having a decent season defensively. They've had a a pretty favourable schedule in the Premier League this year. Uh, We'll see how that plays out over the season. Last year, Chelsea were very poor defensively. At Derby, they were poor defensively. Uh, But good going forward does tend to rely a little bit on individual brilliance rather than patterns of play. Likes to play that sort of target man with pace off him. Um, and I think that's when Frank is at his best. I think as good as Tammy is, and I do like Tammy, I think Chelsea are actually better with Ali Giroud. When you've got Werner and maybe Pulisic either side, I think they'd be better off with Giroud up front. Um, for Jurgen Klopp, I've gone with Marco Rose of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Very, very similar style of play. Very, very similar principles. Very similar personalities. And obviously, Rose played under Klopp for years at Mainz, is a Klopp disciple, has spoken at length about his admiration for Klopp and what he learned from Klopp and what he has brought from what Klopp does into what he does. Um, I think if Liverpool were to lose Klopp tomorrow, he's probably the guy they'd go for. Um, And I'd be all in favour of it. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think his team play great football and I especially like when he goes to his preferred diamond midfield. I think it works very, very well. 
Uh, and for, for Jose, I've gone with the man who replaced him at Chelsea, Antonio Conte. Um, different tactical setup in that Conte goes for a back three and Jose is largely a back four kind of guy, but teams built from the back, teams incredibly hard working, somewhat of a fetish for average grafters, um, but successful. I mean, you can't argue with the success. Conte won three consecutive Scudettos with, uh, with Juve, won the Premier League with Chelsea, obviously hasn't won anything with Inter yet, but if if given time and if he settles down, I think he'll he'll get there. As with Jose, a difficult personality to work with, I think. Tendencies to fly off the handle can fall out with players. Um, but yeah, Antonio Conte will be the, the one for, for Spurs. And that is it. That would be my list of all 20 Premier League managers being replaced. So once again, Chris Wilder by Simone Inzaghi. Slavin Bilic by Marco Gianpaoli. Sean Dyche by Christian Streich. Streich. Uh, Scott Parker by Raphael Wicke. Graham Potter by Jesse Marsh. Mikel Arteta by Florian Kovalt. Marcelo Bielsa by Jose or Jose Bordalas. Steve Bruce by Sam Allardyce. Dean Smith by Bruno Labadia. Roy Hodgson by Neil Warnock. Won't call him Colin. At Nuno Espirito Santo by Diego Martinez. Carlo Ancelotti by Zinedine Zidane. David Moyes by Martin O'Neill. Pep Guardiola by Julian Nagelsmann. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer by Lucien Favre. Ralph Hasenhutl by Peter Bose. Brendan Rodgers by Tommy Tuchel. Uh, Frank Lampard by Paolo Fonseca. Jurgen Klopp by Marco Rose. And Jose Mourinho by Antonio Conte. I hope that answers the question. Uh, thank you to AT7 uh, for the question. Uh, it was quite quite a nice way to spend a bit of time, actually, doing a bit of research and, and having a bit of a think. Uh, we're going to wrap up with some, with some gossip because it's always nice to do. MLS side DC United are leading the race to sign Arsenal's German midfielder, Mesut Ozil. Yesterday, he was going to Fenerbahce. Today, it's DC United. Where will Ozil be going tomorrow? Tune in to find out. Uh, Manchester United could offload France midfielder Paul Pogba uh, and get Paolo Dybala. This is the thing I was talking about earlier. I don't think it's the right deal. I think I think Dybala would be a mercenary. Simple as. Um, push for Bentoncourt. Just push for Bentoncourt. Pogba is willing to take a pay cut to return to the Italian champions. No, he's not. Not a hope is he. Re- no chance. Absolutely no chances. He's looking around at Juventus now, who've paid uh, a ridiculous sum of money to Aaron Ramsey, Ramsey and a ludicrous sum of money, almost a million quid a week, to Cristiano Ronaldo. There's not a hope that Paul Pogba is taking a cent less than he wants. He's not taking any kind of pay cut. He is getting a pay rise on what he's currently earning. Uh, Real Madrid manager Zinedine Zidane still dreams of signing the French World Cup winner, Paul Pogba, but the Bernabeu hierarchy are not keen on the idea. That's because they're broke and have no money. Uh, Simple as that. West Ham are looking into the possibility of bringing Christian Eriksen to London uh, as he struggles to make an impact. Christian Eriksen under David Moyes, uh, I'm not sure. He'd be an upgrade on Pablo Fernals, and, and I do like Pablo Fernals, but uh, Christian Eriksen is just a, a better player. Uh, it, it's from Eurosport, so I think we'll just we'll pop that one in the little bin there. Um, Barcelona are interested in signing Antonio Rudiger. This one's been going on for ages. Uh, Juventus and AC Milan could also be in the running to land him. Juventus won't be. Let's just be real about this. Juventus already have... Four centre-backs who are far better than him. They're not going to be in the mix. Milan might want him as a backup centre-back, but is that really going to be an improvement in his situation? Uh, Juventus could sell Wales midfielder Aaron Ramsey next summer after the 29-year-old failed to make an impact since joining from Arsenal on a free. Uh, They might want to sell him. It's going to be tough to sell him given the wages he's on. I think he might be there for the full ride. Um... We won't read that one because it's from a horrible outlet. 
Uh, Manchester United are optimistic of playing their... Sorry, Newcastle United are optimistic of playing their Premier League fixture against West Brom after the training ground was reopened after an outbreak of coronavirus. Hopefully that game goes ahead. Samuel Umtiti's return to Barcelona after another injury is uh, another step towards his leaving the club. Uh, He is on the outs. He is on the transfer list. Juventus and Everton are both interested in the France defender. Uh, He'd make sense for, for Everton for sure. Um, if if Juventus wanted a long-term replacement for Chiellini, who's probably in his last or second last season, yeah, I mean, Mtiti's a great defender. He really is. Um, Atalanta midfielder Martin Darun says he's not thinking about a move to Barcelona, nor should you be, <laughs> nor should you be. He's a good player. He's not an elite-level player. He suits how they play because they give him a limited role. He plays within a small box. Uh, he's only been linked because Kuman is at Barca. Kuman is not at Barca past this summer, so don't be worrying. Everton's Italian striker, Moise Keane, has opened the door for a permanent move to Paris Saint-Germain after a positive start to his loan spell. Would make sense. He had, didn't get a look in at Everton. I still think Everton would be mental to sell him uh, so quickly. I think they should bring him back and um, and try and make it work with him, even if it's you know he's just splitting game time with with Calvert Luna, he's the main backup, and he starts ten in the Premier League and plays the cups or whatever. He's he's too good to give up on so early. Uh, Leeds have continued to monitor Marcus Edwards after the English midfielder left Spurs to join Vitoria Gomes in 2019. He's a very very good player who's done really well in Portugal since leaving. I would imagine there'll be a number of Premier League clubs interested in Marcus Edwards. Very very talented and seems to have sorted out the attitude problems that curbed his development at Spurs. Manchester City defender Pedro Porro is likely to make his loan move to the Portuguese club Sporting Lisbon, a permanent transfer with the Spanish fullback having never played for Pep Guardiola's team. This is the problem with, with how City have gone about a lot of the recruitment, bringing in young players um, to to develop and then never play. They bring them in to buy them, to, to sell them on in the future. But it kind of stunts the players' growth a little bit, as we've seen with Chelsea. Several Premier League clubs are interested in Spanish midfielder Mikel Vesga, who is out of contract with Atletico Bilbao in the summer. He's decent, um, I would say, for sort of a, a lower mid-table team, like a a Palace, a Newcastle. He could be a very good signing. Uh, I'm not sure he's, I'm not sure he's good enough to play for certainly not the top six, but maybe. No, I'd say he's best off at a Palace or a Newcastle. Somebody of, of that ilk. Uh, championship side Bristol are among a number of clubs plotting to sign English left-back George Cox, who made a permanent move from Brighton to Fortuna Sittard in the summer. Yeah, I mean, championship would make sense for him. It's It was, it was a big move for him to go abroad. Didn't make the grade at Brighton. Um, I, I was very, very impressed by his decision to go abroad. I think he should maybe stay abroad for a little bit longer. Develop. Get game time. I, there's, there's, there's good left-backs around the championship. He'd just be another one. I think over there he could become a little bit more. Um, the final thing I want to just do quickly today, um, there's obviously Hulk, the Brazilian, has left uh, Shanghai SIPG. and I, I'm really sorry. I can't remember who asked me what Premier League club would I like to see him sign for? So I've had, you know, a little bit of a think, but Hulk is a very unique player. Um, You have to sort of make accommodations for him in your team uh, because he doesn't really like to track back or anything like that. And he likes to get the ball and shoot from 40 yards um, and West Ham, I think, are the club. I think you could bring him in and rotate him with Jared Bowen, play him in certain games. Yarmolenko, I think, is probably off. I think he's probably had enough of being a squad player there. I think he will look to move, potentially in January. And Hulk could be a good fit. They like having that left-footed right winger who cuts inside and can add goals. And Hulk can add goals. Um, he is... 
at one point, a very, very good player. Um, he's still talented. He's still got that absolute rocket launcher of a left foot. And I, I think West Ham are probably the club because the thing with their owners is they're always looking for a little bit of a marquee signing. And I think like you, you, we saw the links to Ericsson there. Right? I think that's what that is as well. Oh, it's a big name. Let's let's go and get him. They don't really put a whole lot of thought into the fit, either tactically or from a personality point of view. There's not a lot of long-term thinking there. Like you sign Hulk, and he is now 34 years of age. You may be going to get a good six to 12 months out of him. But he's not going to take a 6-12 month contract. He's going to want more than that. And what happens when that contract is, is looking really like in third and fourth years? Um, he's scored goals wherever he's been. He smashed goals for uh, for Porto. was brilliant when he went to, to Zenit St. Petersburg. And he's done really well in China um, for the most part this, this past season when he's walked out and, and left. I think he was just He's just fed up. He's been there a long time, but uh, yeah, Hulk to West Ham. That's that's the one I think that needs to needs to happen. Uh, and that's it. That is our show for today. Thank you as always to Mister Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. Thank you to you all for listening. A very special thank you to Emmett. Uh, you'll know why Emmett. Really appreciated. Thank you very very much. Uh, it did bring a massive smile to my face when I saw it, and I only saw it yesterday. So. Hence my delay in in, uh, in in thanking you for it, but I very, very much appreciate it. Uh, and that's it. That is the show, folks. Thank you very much. Take care. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.